morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning. Alright, you come to the right place to worship God this morning and to set aside all temptations, all distractions, all struggles. I know we've got those things going on even in us, even as we come into this room. But Jesus is more than able Amen. to handle each of those things. Okay? He is able to do that. And so put them in his lap this morning. Let him take care of it. And then we're going to worship God and worship Jesus and we may even sing a few songs. Uh, we'll certainly say a few prayers. And we'll, we'll give this time over to the Lord and let Him do what He would have us do. We've got some folks joining us online this morning. Those folks dialing into the podcast. Praise God once it comes out. And um, we had some opportunity yesterday to go out and make some visits and some promises to be here. So there may yet be some folks coming in that you don't know. That would be sure great if that does happen. In the meantime... We're going to focus on God. Okay, here we go. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is, this is your people gathered. You've done the work to save the souls, to create the place and the time. You gave us talented musicians. You gave us a building and chairs and lights and the word. Lord, you have been entreating people to be in relationship with you since the very beginning. And we praise you for all that you've done. At the same time, Lord, we confess to you that this church and probably every godly church sometimes looks more like a hospital than a resort. We are grateful that you're able to meet us at the place where we hurt, at the place where we struggle, and lead us to the place where we can praise you. We ask you for forgiveness and strength this morning. Please put our hearts and our minds in the right place. The world's still struggling from a pandemic. Lord, please help those people who are suffering and hurting. Please help those people that are trying to figure out how to have enough food to eat or how to get their bills paid, how to deal with their medical stuff. It's just ongoing, Lord. And it seems like the enemy is so active and wants to take anything that you would make something good out of, something that could honor you and confuse it, um, twist it, break it up. And Lord, we, we know that's not what we want. We want to see your will done here on the earth. Thank you for listening to our prayers, for being the God that answers prayers. That when we come together united and lift these things up to you, that we can know that you are hard at work. Thank you that the few strangers that I talked talk to last night, Lord, that they were... They were saying they were willing. They're interested. They want to know more about you. Some of them were claiming Jesus as Lord and Savior and looking for a place that they could learn and grow. And I praise you, Lord, that you're already at work in lives of people we've never met, that you're calling people to yourself. Please help us this morning to honor you, that as we sing and as we try to stay focused and have fun together in worship, that what we do here would honor you. Help us to grow in our lessons and in the Word, and inspirational moment time, which is coming up, Lord, you speak amongst us, as you do every day. We submit it all to you, in Jesus' name, amen.
job. Good job. All right, moving right along, we come to that moment in time at which we ask ourselves, how has the Lord been speaking over the last seven days? What have you heard? What have you seen? I hope you've been in your Bibles a little bit, reading, deciphering, letting the Holy Spirit uh, show you what's there, teach you, convict you. Therein has found our faith and our assurance and our confidence. And so I'm asking you today, what did you see? What did you hear? Where did God say, hey, pay attention to that? All right, what do you got? No pressure. You know what's been happening. So I've always been the type of person that I like facts. I like I don't like just taking some word. Okay. So I needless to say I have very bad trust issue with people. Like if they tell me something, I don't believe them until I find out for sure that it's true. Uh-huh. And um, for the longest time I was like that with about coming to Jesus because I wanted to know facts. I had to see proof and what I've learned over the last, what now, almost eight years-ish, um, there's not a lot. Of, there's not a lot of facts. There's not a lot of proof, like physical evidence that you can feel and you can touch and you can see when it comes to following God. And for I think a lot of people, that's scary because if you can't physically see what you're going where you're going and you can't have the plan laid out in front of you it's scary to know that okay what if I get to this point then what and for like I said for what I've struggled with a lot is I, I don't like not knowing and there's a lot of unknowns in Christianity there's a lot of things that we can't prove because you just have to take God's word for it like, we weren't alive when Jesus was alive, so how do we know for 100% true that he was actually a person? And it's always those questions, and sometimes it's dangerous to always dabble into those kind of questions. Because then you start questioning, well, am I really a Christian? Am I really supposed to follow God? Is this a real thing? And so it's okay to ask those kinds of questions, and like I said, this is something that I've struggled with a lot is it's okay to ask those kind of questions, but you can't think about them too much because then you start bringing yourself down because you'll always be wondering, well, what if, or why, or who, and if you can't physically see or touch something, then it's hard to believe it, but with God, we have to do that. We have to take that step of faith. We have to take that jump, I guess you can say, and say, okay, well, this is just how it is. I can't explain it. I can't I can't tell you exactly what to do. I can't show you, but this is how it is. This is what God says. So this is how it's got to be. So we I guess as what the big the point is is we have to learn to take that jump. We have to learn to take that step. Because if we always question why and always question what if, then something that I heard on uh, the radio is <clears throat> If you live your life asking what if, you'll never know. Because you're always going to be wondering, well, what if it went this way? What if it went that way? So you can't live your life at, with what ifs. Right. When I was at Great Lakes Christian College, Spirit kind of brought this to mind as we were talking. I remember I took a class where there were proofs or evidences for what we believe. This hermeneutics is what you're talking about. How do we know? How do we know what we know? 
And really, there are pretty good answers that follow logic and things like that, but you're right, not physical, gritty, grab it in your hand type stuff, but logical conclusions that people come to. One of the famous, and I can't remember his name right this second, one of the famous philosophers or whatever said, if you had all of the physical evidence you could possibly amass, if you personally were there and saw Jesus crucified and then later saw him come back to life, you personally were present, you would ultimately still have to take that leap of faith. So, and I think you said this well, it doesn't matter how much evidence you have or don't have, ultimately you still have to take that leap. There were people who lived. There were people standing at the cave of Lazarus when Jesus said, come forth, that had a hard time believing in who Jesus was. And that's why, because they were wrapped up in the what if and whatever. The physical evidence is literally will never save you. They're never going to get you there. Yeah, at some point in time, you have to trust. Now, on the backside of that, we understand the reason that you have to do that is because the channel of faith that exists between us and God, that's how the grace is delivered, right? So by grace through faith. And so there, there's a channel of faith. We believe in God and we trust in God that he's going to do something, and then he delivers grace unto us. So if you don't trust or believe at some point in time, you could know, I mean, you could know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross, and he rose again. You could know it. You're like, I, this is factual. I was there. I saw it. I saw the miracles. I know absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt this is true and not be saved. And I run into people a lot when I'm witnessing or talking to them. They're like, oh, yeah, I know Jesus is the Son of God, God in the flesh. Oh, yeah, I know he died for my sins. So then you call him Lord and say, oh, yeah. And then I... I've been, I felt strongly convicted. I try not to stop there. And I'll say, okay, so then you know what it says in John chapter 3 about Jesus and being saved, right? And 99% and of the time it's like, no, no, I don't know that. I don't actually know. And they could have just gone to John 3.16, but they don't. I'm talking about John 3.3 3 and 3.7. They don't even get John 3.16 most of the time when they say that. And I say, well, it says you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. And that was said to a guy who knew the Bible, knew God, was following all that. He, had, he was a much-renowned speaker, fasted two days a week, had memorized the whole book of Genesis word for word, beginning to end. He literally could recite it without a Bible. And, and, God, and Jesus said to him, you must be born again. So there has to be a fresh start. That's that moment of a leap of faith. And if it does not happen, no matter what you think you know, you would not be saved. God, there has to be a moment in which you turn your life with the Lord and are born again. That's what Jesus said. Not me, but Jesus. And a, and a lot of times, more often than not, when they say, yeah, I believe in him as, as Lord and Savior, or I believe in, that he was the Son of God, I believe in that, and then you explain that to them, more often than not, if they have not already had that, sometimes they'll go, oh yeah, that happened to me when, and they can recount the story. But more often than not, if you've gotten that far with them, then you explain it, they'll do it right then. And I would say the majority of times I've seen people pray to be saved, that's what happened. They realize, hey, I knew this. I accepted it as true, but I didn't trust God for my salvation. I didn't get born again. And so if you've not, take the leap of faith. Trust in the Lord. Whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall not be put to shame. You know who you're trusting in. Trust in him and be born again. Okay, good stuff. Um, God does not want us to check our brains at the door, right? So you don't have to get stupid to be a Christian because he does have answers for all those questions. But Argy's absolutely right. You don't want to get wrapped up in this. Good word. Thank you. Um, I just want to share something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I do not have all the answers. haven't okay. got there yet. Um, it's actually something that Satan showed me 
without even thinking about it, because children do that all the time. Yep. Um, he was talking to someone, some little boy in the grocery store. And he was telling this little boy that was in the checkout line behind us, mind you, she was six to eight feet behind us because they were keeping their distance. And he was in the cart and Zayden was in the cart. And he was telling this little boy all about his friend Kyler and what they do together when they go to each other's, or to go to Kyler's house and playing outside with Nerf guns and stuff. And I, he calls him my friend Kyler all the time. He doesn't call him his cousin. He doesn't understand. That's fine. They are friends. They play together like friends. They fight like brothers, but that's going to happen. Um, and the cashier asked me, do they know each other? And I said, no, they've never met before. He's just talkative and not shy at all, especially around other kids. And it dawned on me two things. One, he's a family member, and he calls him his friend, which we should do that with our family, with our church family. You may have members of your family that you don't consider friends, that you don't talk to. You may have members of your church family that you wouldn't consider friends or that you wouldn't necessarily talk to outside of church given the choice. There are people in this room that I don't talk to unless we're at a church function or at work at the life station. And it shouldn't be that way, especially with your church family, because being a church family and being involved, especially in New Heights, one of our core values is involvement and family, you should be reaching out to them, checking on them, seeing if there's something you can do for them, even if you haven't seen them since Sunday, that should be something that we should be doing that I've never been good at. Um, and the other thing that it sparked to me that got me thinking was he had this full-on conversation, not about God or about Jesus, but about something that he enjoys doing that this little boy was completely involved in. Like, he's like, yeah, I do that with my brother. And, like, they were having a full-on conversation as strangers. And we should be like that with other adults in this life. And we don't. We keep to ourselves. I did not talk to that little boy's mom hardly at all. We said a couple words to each other. We were laughing a little bit at the conversation they were having. And I was talking to the cashier, answering her questions or anything. But I didn't have a full-on conversation like that with the adults in the situation. And we should be more open to talk to other people than we are, especially when our mission is to tell others about God. I won't say too much about that because you got so close to the topic of the sermon there, but yeah, I'm with you 100%. Anybody else? It's been on my mind lately. Um, one of our members, I was speaking with her on the phone this week, and she's not been able to come to church, uh, or hasn't felt able to come to church and worship with us because <clears throat> she and her husband both have suppressed immune systems, and um, very concerned about what might happen with COVID and things like that. And one of the things that she was saying is there's so many people that are we're seeing almost like personality struggles or mental struggles and things like that, it can be because of the stress of the day or whatever. But she said, I'm having a hard time, a lot of people are having a hard time just remembering things, functioning, doing the things they normally do because of all of this. And I think we need to remember that some basic things that people might normally be able to do, instead of going, well, they should be fine, or they shouldn't be doing that, we should say, you know, it can be because of the recent events. And, and I felt like the Lord was saying to me when she said that, we tend to be quick to say, well, they did something wrong, 
when in reality we should say, how can we help them? And so I think that was, that was kind of my big revelation for the week. You're responsible for what goes on right here in you. You know, that's what you're responsible for. You can't fix anybody else, can't change anybody else, whatever. But the Bible also says that we should be concerned about the difficulties of others more than our own difficulties. And what I find is that when you go out to try to fix or help or serve or whatever, a lot of times some of the problems that you think you had just kind of melt away and you're like, oh, that really wasn't even a problem at all as I'm helping the other person. So I encourage you to do that. That's what the Lord was sort of sharing with me. All right. So we're going to pray together and then ties and offerings, a little more worship, good stuff. Um, listen to the Lord daily. He speaks in a myriad of ways. In fact, if you go through the Bible, the one thing you can see for sure is that he talked to people in so many different ways, but he does speak. And so you may be missing that if you're wrapped up in the affairs of the world, and I would encourage you not to do that. Rather, to say, okay, God, speak to me, and I'll listen. Samuel had to be three times. Three times God said, God called him, and every time he went to Eli, and Eli said to him, the third time, Eli said, that's probably God calling you. Why don't you just say, here I am, Lord, and see what he has to say. And so let me encourage you to do that this coming week. Just you say, okay, here I am, Lord. What do you have to say to me? All right. And so we're going to pray. I'm going to ask Brother Tim Mitchell. Would you? Did I see a hand back there? Someone want to say something? No? Okay. Brother Tim Mitchell, would you pray for us before we uh, transition to the next? Our Lord and Father, thank you for all this but um, praise you here for us here, the entire planet. And I know that your hand is working in all of it, and you, you have an outcome in mind, you have a purpose in mind for your people. So as these times move on and we move into where we're going, continue to prepare our hearts, Lord. We need to be, um, help us be a light to the world. And um, there's a lot of darkness out there. And, and um, so just prepare our hearts and lift our nations and forgive us when we fail you. And let's just lift each other up
Praise the Lord. It's a good selection of songs for the sermon, which is pretty good, considering they don't get any advance notice of what the sermon is going to be about. God has always been good from the very beginning of planting this church, of choosing the song selection to go right along with the sermon. Got to love that. All right, so uh, I got a tape measure here. Karina, would you come up here? Okay, so um, this, this tape measure actually has multi-functions, but so does anybody know how wide a sheet of drywall is? Four foot. Four foot, okay. Yeah. Well, it depends on which length is up to sometimes yeah, different. Yeah, wide. Way you lay it. yeah, okay, yeah. So this is this is that part of the wide. Alright. So right, hold on, I'm trying to find it. Right here. Okay, so here's four foot. Right? That's the width. And if you put it up vertically, that's how much wide width of the wall it's gonna cover. Now if you lay it down, right, and let go for a second, then it's gonna be that tall, right? And did you know, by the way, that most people actually recommend that's the way you're supposed to do it? That you're actually supposed to lay them down? I didn't. When, when uh, I grab that again. When Stuart and I were rebuilding the house over there on Gardner years ago, we didn't know that, so we were standing them all up. So the, the board with the dry piece of drywall that I'm talking to you about today was this wide. And then it's eight feet tall. I don't think this tape measure goes eight feet. Just hold on a second. Let's see. There's six. Seven. Oh, look, we got it. Okay. It's interesting that the four foot and the eight foot are in red. That's probably a reason for that, right? So this is the eight foot mark. And so if you lay it down, it's going to be this wide. And if you stand up, it's going to be way up there. Oh, you're taller than that, right? Okay. Now this particular piece of drywall that we were hanging had an outlet in it. And the outlet was two feet from one side. So the distance between me and Karina, our hands, is two feet, right? And the outlet that we were cutting, okay, let go for a second, was 16 inches off the floor. There's 16 inches off the floor. And then the outlet boxes are roughly, does anybody know the width and size of roughly an outlet box? Three inches. Two by three, roughly. It's pretty close, right? And it may be a little bigger. You've got to cut it, you know, so you can slot it on there because it has these little tabs on the side of the outlet box that are supposed to go up against the back of the drywall. Just before you sit down, I want to see if you're taller than the width of a sheet of drywall yet. Let's see. Congratulations, you are over four foot. Very good. <laughs> Thank you, Green. Okay, and so we, we measured that on the wall, as you can imagine, and then we cut the outlet box out, and as, as it was laying across, across the uh, sawhorses, and we looked at it, it looked good, Stuart said these very famous words to me. Should fit. That's what he said. That's what he said every time we measured and cut a board. We measure it twice, cut it once, and then he would say, should fit. And then he threw something. No, that come after it didn't fit. Okay. Uh, and so, needless to say, we, had, we cut the outlet box out. He said, should fit. And so then together we lifted the, the drywall board up onto the wall, and lo and behold, it didn't fit. And I said, well, maybe we flipped it. You know, the four-foot dimension could be flipped. And so we flipped it around, and sure enough, it didn't line up that way either. At which point, yeah, he threw his pencil or whatever, got mad, and we set it back down. And, and uh, we're like, now what are we going to do? You know, because we got this sheet of drywall, the hole in it. And you can patch a hole. And I said, we can just patch the hole. And, and this is what he said to me. He said, I am not building a wall with a hole in it. So if you make a hole, if you make a hole... Somewhere down the road, you can patch it, but you cannot build a wall with a hole in it 
and then patch the hole when you build the wall. That's ridiculous. And I said, so what are we going to do with this sheet of drywall? And I said, it doesn't fit, but I mean, we can make it fit. We could cut it, we, you know. And he's like, I said, what are we going to do with this? And he said, well, it's junk. I'm like, well, we, just, we cut the outlet wrong. I've been looking at this four foot by eight foot sheet of drywall cost us about eight bucks or whatever at that time. And I'm like, really? And he took his fist and is sitting on the sawhorses and he goes, yeah, it doesn't fit. And he pushed it down hard in the middle and the drywall snapped in between. And I said, I guess you're right, it doesn't fit. <laughs> and so then we got a new sheet of drywall and I told him, I said, you know, I read in this book that I was reading about how you can put chalk on the edge of the outlet box and you chalk it up real good and then you set the drywall sheet up in place on there where it's supposed to go and it can't go perfectly because it can't quite fit around there but it goes pretty much and then the chalk marks the box on the drywall sheet and so we took we did that and then we laid it back after we scoured the house for chalk and then we laid it back down on the there and we cut it out and then he said should fit, should fit. <laughs> and then we picked it up off of the off of the sawhorses and we put it up on the wall and lo and behold it fit. Now, in truth, we had to use a razor knife to carve just a little bit of an edge, you know, to get it to fit on there, but it fit is the point. At that point in time, that drywall sheet was ready to be nailed or screwed, which I think we were using screws, but anyway, to the wall, okay? That first drywall sheet, we wound up cutting some pieces out of it. It wasn't really totally wasted, but it certainly did not go on that spot on the wall. I want to talk to you today about confidence as a settled matter. In the case of the drywall sheet, the matter was settled when he put his fist down and snapped that drywall sheet in two. And at that point, I, I just went, okay, you know, it's settled. We're not going to use that drywall sheet right here right now, obviously. We're going to move on to another one. So I want you to picture that in your mind then, if you would. And maybe you give me an amen or a hoot or a holler or something as we go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Amen. amen. This is God's word, all right? And it is 10:35, and it's right up there too, right? 10, 35, and 36. And so, like most people are like, hey, the pastor only picked two verses today. This sermon is not going to be very long. It's going to be great because only two verses. Don't even, don't even fool yourself. <laughs> okay. Just get over it right now. This is going to take a hot minute. All right. Um, yeah. So, all right. So Hebrews 10, 35, and 36. And you may have guessed, however, that we are drilling down on one thing. Now, this is part of that sermon series that we've been teaching. So you need to be remembering the back of your mind, the fundamental teachings of Christ as we do this. So we don't get off track. You don't kind of miss some key connection there. But he has brought us forward this far, God has, to see this confidence that we are supposed to um, have, all right? And so 10, 35, and 36. Therefore, do not throw away, or the King James says, cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. For we have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. And that's the whole thought. So first let's break down the thought, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the confidence is the plan. Therefore, or because of all this, and the therefore is talking about what came before, obviously. And so 32 through 34 basically shows that in their early days, they had suffering substantial. They had had it pretty rough. And maybe even some of that continues to this day. And then they talk about how they had shared with the saints who were having suffering as well. So even after their suffering or when their suffering wasn't all that bad, they made a point of going out of their way to help others who were suffering. And so that caused them to suffer, right? You need to remember sometimes that we're supposed to give to the point that it hurts when it comes to what God wants to get done. 
the New Testament standard for giving is not a tithe minimum, although Jesus certainly does say we should tithe, but it is sacrificial giving above and beyond, okay? That's the standard. And so these guys were giving. So when they gave to help people who were in trouble, they felt some hurt themselves because they were, they were sharing in the sufferings of those who were suffering. And because that's true, he says in 35, therefore, because that's true, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. So first of all, notice that this confidence has a great reward. This confidence that he's talking about is going to take us somewhere. It's going to do something. And we'll talk about that before we're through. This confidence is vital to who we are. And this steps on my toes. This is where it gets to be a problem for me because in my flesh, man, I am not confident. I never have been. I have always lacked self-confidence. I've always struggled in my flesh. But as a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, and especially through what we're going to see today, I, am, I stand before you corrected. We must be confident. Okay? He said, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. So the first thing was, this confidence has a great reward. It's taking us somewhere. The second thing to see in there, which comes first, actually, is that you can throw it away. You can cast it off. Even as a Christian, a believer in the Lord who has sacrificed, is themselves been persecuted and overcome, they could be at a point at which they could cast off their confidence. You see, they gave their money when people were hurting, they gave of their treasures, etc. They suffered persecution, etc. And now they come to this place where the author of Hebrews says, Do not throw away your confidence. And you don't tell somebody not to do something unless it's possible that they could do it. And so to be understood in this text then is that. We could throw away our confidence. Even having done fairly well in the Lord to a point, we could then throw away our confidence. Verse 36, he says, For because you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying, this not throwing away the confidence looks like endurance. This throwing away the confidence is in some way the opposite of endurance. Okay? It's not staying the course. It's not being diligent to do the things that we're supposed to do or be the kind of person that Christ would have us to be. And I won't get ahead of myself. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But he says, because you have need of endurance, what you really need to do is continue so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. And this already sort of points us to the purpose of the confidence or where the confidence is taking us. So let's talk a little bit for a moment about this word that the New American Standard here translates as confidence. The King James does as well, by the way. And so do most of them. And what does it mean? We often take confidence to mean, for example, like here's a person who's confident to get up and speak in public. Or we take confidence like here's a person who's bold to stand up to a bully. right? And some of those things are true. But that's a more generic or general meaning of the word confidence. This word, translated over from the Greek, has really kind of like three built-in things to it. I'm going to break them down very quickly. The first one is, it's freedom in speech. Not freedom of speech. That's a different thing. Okay? Freedom of speech is you can say whatever you want to say, as long as it's not specifically damaging to somebody else. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. At least that's the way the judges have ruled it. But otherwise, you can pretty much say what you want to say. That's freedom of speech. This is freedom in speech. So in other words, uh, this person does not have to be reserved about what they say. And specifically, they will not conceal their true meaning. Have you ever been talking to somebody and, and they're trying to explain something to you, but then really they kind of sort of like beating around the bush a little bit and you're sort of like, what do they really mean? What am I really trying to figure out here? And this person doesn't do that. 
There is no ambiguity. They are direct and point blank. They say what they're trying to say. Okay? And so, he's, to put that back in the text then, this is the kind of speech that we're called to. Do not throw away your ability to be free in speech, to be unreserved, to be without concealment, to not have ambiguity, to be direct. Don't throw that away. That's something that, is, that you have. Don't throw it away. Second thing, then, is that these people are, it means free or fearless, cheerful courage. Now, this is interesting to me in specific because I, I have some courage, actually. Um, I believe it was a gift from God. I had little to no courage before I got saved. I, I, there's no way I ever I could have preached. I avoided all my public speaking in schools that I possibly could. Um, from 7th grade through 11th grade, I'll, I'll say it a different way, from 7th grade to 11th grade, I only ever spoke in front of the class two times. The one time was a book report in 7th grade, and then there were some things that my teacher said after that which were designed to make me, to say that I did a good job or whatever, but actually kind of made me feel like I did a bad job. And then I, I was sick throughout high school every time I was supposed to give a public report, and I would stay out of school until it was done and over with. But once I came back to school and they said, oh, well, you're here. We, we were long past that unit, but why don't we go ahead and let you do your public speech? And so I had to do it. But I was avoiding this. So to see me preaching, for example, would be, in that sense, would be a, a, a sense of this. I am not a fearless individual. But that's basically what we're called to be. That's what this word says. Don't throw away your fearlessness. And then in specific, your cheerful courage. We have a very, very good reason to be confident. We aren't confident just because uh, we're pretty or smart or because someone says we can do a good job on a certain thing. Like uh, You ought not to be confident in your ability to work on a car because you're good with cars. That's not the kind of confidence this is talking about. If you want to be confident about that or be confident about that for that reason, go right ahead. But that's not what this is talking about. We have a cheerful courage that arises out of something incredible that's been done in us, something incredible that we have seen. Okay? And it follows our assurance. And then the third one, it says, the deportment. I'll come back to that in a second because it's always, it always sucks to de define a big word with another big word, right? But the deportment by which one becomes conspicuous or secures publicity. Oh my goodness. Now doesn't this sort of seem to go in the exact opposite of Christianity now? We have a confidence that puts us out there, that causes us to show up, it causes us to be on the radar, to not be able to sneak under, to, to, that people will look at us and see us and see what we're doing. Right? We earn publicity by this confidence. So if you, to cast off this confidence might be to then avoid being the center of attention. We're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That is a personal trait that humans value, right? You go to the party, the guy that everybody's flocking around, that's getting everybody's attention, that's the guy, right? That's the guy that everybody wants to be, right? Or the one that always has the, the, the quick comeback, the line, the quip, the joke that will make everybody go, hey, He's really smart. That's the guy in the world that everybody wants to be. And so as Christians, we're like, oh, no, we're not like that. We don't want to be the... This actually says we must be. You have to be the person. Now, you can't fake it. There's got to be a real reason for it. But you must be the person who gets people's attention in any given situation. We should carry ourselves. That word deportment means your behavior, the way you act. You should be a person, according to this, you don't want to cast off that because that's something that's already there, and we'll see it in a second, a little bit clearer. You don't want to cast that off. You should be conspicuous. You should secure publicity for yourself. 
Now, obviously, we know that we have a reason for that publicity, right? It's not just about, can I be this guy that everybody looks at? There's something considerably more valuable going on there. All right. So now we're going to talk about the confidence a little bit from a scriptural point of view, because right now we're going, uh, we got a problem, don't we? Because I'm not, I don't have cheerful courage. If I'm standing around with a group of guys and they start talking about something I don't want to talk about, I don't go, oh, here's my opportunity to talk about Jesus. Most of us don't do that. But this is exactly what we're being called to do, right? When somebody starts talking about a video game that they're playing is full of rape and murder, that's your perfect opportunity to talk about God, holiness, Jesus, most importantly, Jesus, right? And that, but that's not what we want to do. We don't want to be the person to draw attention to ourselves, so we're more likely to go, I'm just gonna, I can't be part of this conversation, I'm sorry. Or we'll say, well, this conversation has gone to a place that I can't go, so I'm going to just let you guys go, and I'm going to walk over here. And that's considered to be very respectful, but that's not at all what we're called to. We're called to this confidence, which gives us freedom of our speech, freedom in our speech, to be very direct, to not be reserved, to not be ambiguous, to be bold and plain and have cheerful color, courage and to gain conspicuousness, to stand out and secure publicity for ourselves. When I was a young Sunday school teacher, by that I mean I was 26 years old and they had asked me to teach Sunday school and it was in the first short period of time. I wasn't ever a young Sunday school teacher. Some of the people in this room started teaching Sunday school when they were like 12. I've never done that. Um, I didn't get saved until I was uh, almost 26 and then baptized at 26 and then began teaching Sunday school not too long after that. When I was a young Sunday school teacher, I found that I, I had a boldness in me that I had never had before. And in Sunday school, where these people are supposedly coming to learn about God, I could do it. It's pretty, it was pretty cool. I was like, well, that's really weird. That's not me at all. Go with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to talk about confidence in the church. We'll be there for a minute, so it's okay for you to take the time to flip if you're not a fast flipper. I purposely did not mark these. So we're looking at Ephesians 4, and I'll begin reading in the first verse, Ephesians 4.1. Therefore, the, pris the prisoner of the Lord, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another and love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, if you take that right there, I have heard people take those verses to say, we should be meek. We should be humble. We should be mild. Okay? And I'm not disagreeing with that, but I'm also saying that with that humbleness, that meekness, that mildness, we cannot cast off our confidence because we can't, the two verses have to work together. Right? We know now that this is talking about the body of Christ, so in the church, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But let me stop there for one second. Do you hear the boldness in that statement? After he just got done saying, we need to be Practice all humility and gentleness and showing forbearance to one another. You could expect Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, to go, well, you know, I hear you believe in another God, but please just, you know, let's kind of tarry for a minute here. Let's talk about this. I want to be gentle with you. I want to kind of be, I want to be plain, but at the same time, please don't hear me being bold, right? No, he says there is one, there is one, there is one. 
This settles it. I'm saying things here that settle the matter. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And I submit to you, that verse is a picture of the confidence that we have in light of our surrounding. Yes, we need to practice humility and be gentle and patient with people when people are struggling and so on, things like that. But the bottom line is that verse is a There are things that are just what they are. You could say, there are things that are a settled matter. Verse 7, he says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In parentheses, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? If he went back to heaven, it also means that he came from heaven, right? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. This is the guy that we work for, is what Paul's saying. This is the guy that we work for. The guy who descended, lived, died, rose again, ascended. That's Jesus. There's a boldness, fearless courage Boldness and fearless courage in that he ascended. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So inside the church, he gave these people to do these things. All right? And I'm not, we're not debating on doctrine. This is what Paul is saying. Until we all attain to the unity of faith. So in other words, the church is all supposed to attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And we always take that to mean that somewhere down the road we're going to be kind of Jesus-like and that the church is working together to become more like Jesus. And I submit to you, the church is working together to become more like Jesus. I don't disagree. But I want you to not miss a subtle point that's in there. He says, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I've had a number of times where I've been in conversation with somebody who was very bold speaking. They might have been very physical in nature. They might have been bigger than me, whatever. And I find myself to be intimidated. In the flesh, mind you. I was, I was a relatively young Christian when I was a manager at Pizza Hut. My manager took me in the, my vice president, who was the, not even my boss, but the boss above my boss, took me in the cooler and she's and lecturing me, shaking her finger at me like this. And she said, you know what your problem is? And I'm not a cocky individual in my flesh at all. I do everything behind, in my flesh, I would do everything behind people's backs. I didn't do nothing to their face. <laughs> you know, I would wait. Like if, before I got saved, I might have like waited and then like keyed her car or something, you know, but I, I never keyed anybody's car, by the way, but I might have done something like that because she was hurting me pretty bad, but I was saved at the time. She said, you know what your problem is? And I said, actually, I'm kind of confused about that. I really don't know what my problem is, but I figure you're about to tell me. I said, so go ahead. And she said, your problem is you're not afraid of me. And when she said that for the first time ever, it occurred to me, that I wasn't afraid of her. All my life, anybody with any authority, power, money, a loud voice, I had been afraid of everybody. And suddenly, surprisingly, unbeknownst to me, I'm now talking to my boss's boss who could blink her left eye and I'm done. Right? My, my salary's gone. $35,000 a year I was making back then was a lot of money. My salary would be gone. Right? Now, I, I, later, I took a job as a pastor and made far less money. But the point is... <laughs> 
This is what Paul is talking about when he says, the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature. What's somebody's stature? It's the size. It's how they show up. You know, what impact they can have, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. It's not to say that he's not saying we get that stature because Jesus had that stature and we're eking our way slowly to it. He's saying Jesus has the stature, Jesus in you, the fullness of Christ in you equals the stature of Christ. That's what he's saying. And so often people use this passage of scripture and say, you've got to be meek, you be mild. And, all, and, and again, we should be meek and mild, especially when it's the right time. But he's calling us to a boldness, 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children. Tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You've got to know what you know. Let's get some settled matters going on, shall we? Kids are always thinking they're doing right. And then as soon as somebody talks to them, they're always thinking, uh, what did I do? Did I do something wrong? Happens all the time. As soon as you are, talk to them calmly, they're like, oh, am I about to get lectured? Because they don't know if what they just did was right or wrong. But you got to know what you're doing and whether it's right or wrong or not. And if it's wrong, by the way, you should be repenting and turning to God. But if it's right, then when somebody talks to you about it, you should be okay. And then if in the midst of them talking about it, you, just, you discover that it was wrong, then still you repent and turn to God, right? That's what Matthew 18 is all about, but that has nothing to do with this sermon today. 14 says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. There it is. Freedom in speech. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head. If we're going to grow up in all aspects, you know what the number one thing that non-believers and Jewish folks said about Jesus? Does anybody remember? Before the crucifixion, you know what the number one thing that really kind of struck them about him was? He spoke with boldness. He said, this is what's true. I know that your, your teachers, your Pharisees, they, they're your Sadducees, or whatever, they teach it this way. But this is what's actually true. I know in the Word, Matthew 5, right? In the Word it says this. But let me tell you, this is what's actually true. And he wasn't contradicting the Bible when he did it. He was giving them an understanding. He was bringing out the authority of Scripture in a way that they never had seen it before. Because every Pharisee that was teaching, everybody that was preaching would go, well, so-and-so, who is a great leader in the faith, says that it means this. They were all quoting each other. Jesus never quoted anybody but God. Now, he might have quoted a prophet or Moses or somebody like that coming straight out of the scripture, but he didn't quote another teacher. Even if he did, he would say something like, well, you may have heard it taught this, but he didn't say their name because he was about to tell them it was wrong. Jesus spoke very boldly. And now this says, we are to be speaking the truth, truth in love and are to grow up in all aspects into him. Who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, it means everybody has their role and their place, and they all have to be bold, they all have to be courageous, they all have to be free to speak. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord. In other words, I'm going to say this, but God's saying, I just want you to be aware, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. 
So they, they, they were confused. They thought certain things were okay that weren't. They worshiped things that they shouldn't. They, they chased after money and all kinds of things. They, they had their plans, but they just weren't godly plans. 18. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. There's a lot of people out there that are like that, but you're not to be like that. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. See, we go, oh, I make mistakes, so I have to yield my position to somebody who doesn't make mistakes. Then we'll say, when I make mistakes, we'll say, well, my excuse is, I make mistakes, but so does everybody. Which is true. Everybody makes mistakes. So why are you yielding your position when you make mistakes and you recognize that about yourself? You yield your position, you yield your authority in Christ to somebody else who makes mistakes. We don't answer... I, I'm just going to be bold and say this simply for a moment. We don't answer to the government. You don't answer to the law. You don't answer to your neighbor as far as what they tell you to do. You answer to one being and one being alone. And that's the God of heaven. He set it up that way. And then he goes on to give some direction about how we ought to be. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak, with, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. Not ambiguity, not unclearness, but be direct, Right? For we are members of one household. Be angry. That means be motivated. Have that emotive energy. And yet, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer. But rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with him who has needs. All talking about life inside the church. Life in the, in the kingdom. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But only such a word as is good for edification, build people up, speaking in truth, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor, slander be put away from you, um, along with all malice. See, we're bold and we're courageous, but we're not mean. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. I found that I could be confident in my Sunday school class. They were coming for two reasons. Number one, they were coming to learn about God, I think. I mean, I, that was my hope, that they were coming to learn something about God. And so because they were coming to learn something about God, and because I had been gifted the teacher book, that meant that on that particular day, I knew more about God than they did. If you know more about God than somebody else did, you should be able to be confident. In the church, it's pretty easy because everybody's coming for a reason. We already figured it out. They're coming to learn about God, so we can be confident to those who are coming to learn about God. But the yearning of every heart is to learn about God, and so we ought to be able to be confident outside the church as well. Secondly, I could be confident in my Sunday school class as part of the body because they were coming for a second reason, because their parents told them they had to. The students in my class were subject to the fear of their parents. And we have Sunday school students here uh, in our class. Karina is one of them, and she's in the sermon today, even though she might rather be working with the kids or whatever. But they're coming because they want to come. Karina had to ask nicely 
and I'm using a nice word, to be allowed to be here today. And she did the same thing on Tuesday. I didn't ask you to share this, and I'm sorry, but I'm going to do it. On Tuesday, she had to pay for the gas to get here. You understand what I'm saying? It's easy to be confident in the church because there are people that want to be here. But what you need to realize is that there are people outside the church that need it more desperately. And the confidence that we show here when we preach the word, when we teach, we love each other, we're kind, we show up, we do work, we give, that confidence has to be translated into our life in literally every moment of every day because there isn't anybody else. Quit thinking some other church is going to win people to Jesus. The people that you come into contact, nobody else is going to win them to Jesus. Nobody else is going to be the outspoken, bold cheerfully courageous person that's going to draw attention to themselves and then divert that attention to where it truly belongs, which is the God of heaven. No one else is going to do it. How do I know that? Where have we been the last 10 weeks? We've been working our way through past that moment in time and we're moving into deeper teachings now. A lot of Christians never get here. They don't move into the, because they're dull of hearing, because they're off the way, distracted, doing what they want to do. They never get to the point of realizing that they actually, that these verses, what they actually say and what you have to do about it. This confidence is easy in the body. And it's even easier when we see others do it. There's a verse, we won't go there, but Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, he says, and this assurance or confidence that you have was bolstered by the fact that you saw how we behaved amongst you. So when the pastor, the deacon, or somebody in the building, whatever you see, when you see somebody else give sacrificially, serve sacrificially, work their faith forward a step. I'll never forget we had a brother who was a member of our church and, and he left disgruntled. He was upset primarily with me. Seems to be kind of the way it goes. I apologize in advance for that. He was out for about six months. And he came back, and when he was sitting in here in the chairs, he saw another brother in the church get up and, and, and share a testimony about something that had happened about sharing Christ with a bunch of kids. And that cut that brother who had been out for six months to the quick. He said, I came and I saw that the people in your church, the people who are in the Word, they're still, they're growing. They're growing in leaps and bounds. Things are happening. They're, they're embracing the truth of God, and they're, they're becoming what God would want us to be. And he said, and I had to repent immediately and turn to the Lord. It's easier to be confident in the body because there are others being confident. And what was that confidence again? Being free in their speech. Not, not talking around the corner, but being direct and saying, this is the way it is. Being cheerfully courageous. Having a fearless confidence to do what they need to do. To take risks. To suffer even. Carrying themselves by the deportment, that means the behavior, the way they were acting, to become conspicuous. So people look at us. I remember the day that we decided as a church, and really it was leadership that got together and prayed about it, and we decided as a church not to close during the pandemic. That we didn't close this building and stop worshiping. And then the very next day I got a phone call from a friend who's a pastor and, 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 and I would say a maturing Christian. I always say maturing because I don't even know what a mature Christian really is for sure. I think he's maturing. I think that's what the Bible meant. As long as you're here, you're maturing. At least if you're a follower of Christ, that's what you're supposed to be. And he called me up and he said, you can't do that. And I said, well, I didn't do it. God did it and the church did it, but I'm in it fully. I agree with 100%. And I got a 45-minute lecture from that person about how what, what we were doing was wrong. And yet, God worked in it. And nobody got sick. And people got saved. People got moved forward in their faith. And
It's easier to be confident in a church that wants to be confident, that wants to serve the Lord. And I'm glad to be in this church because that's what I see. When people come and they say, oh, I, want to do, I think God wants me to do this. I'm like, okay, well, let's hash that out. What does it look like? Exactly? Okay, let's do that. Go. Settled. All of this comes from being in Jesus. I know someone would say that uh, what I'm urging the church to do is a little self-serving, and it is, because I love it when the church does what the church is supposed to do and is competent. Paul writes this in Ephesians 3, if you go back about a page and a half. Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 12. Mind you, this is leading up to that passage of Scripture that we just read, right? And 12 says, I'll go back to the beginning of sentence 11, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and competent access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to learn, lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. And so basically, he was saying, Jesus did it. I didn't do it. You've become bold and confident. You have access to God through Jesus, because Jesus died on the cross, and so on. That's the bottom line. And so continue to be bold. Exercise your confident access to God. And this is, by, by the way, through faith in him. That's what he said. So where does our confidence come from? It comes from the fact that you believed. Didn't you? If you don't have confidence, then you might want to ask yourself, did you believe? And I'm not talking about reckless confidence in the world, but it's a confidence of freedom in speech, a directness about God. It's a confidence of cheerful courage and assurance and knowing that you're going to be okay and you can do this thing. You're free to do what you have to do and a deportment by which you carry yourself that everybody looks at you and you secure publicity. You stand out and you are conspicuous. Confidence in giving and serving. The more you give and serve, the more confident you'll become. That's from the book of Hebrews that we have read. The more you take a risk, put yourself out there, put your money out there and whatever, the more confident you'll become as God takes care of you. But this is what we do. We pull back a little bit. We do a little less. I don't know. I'm not sure if I'll be able to pay my bills if I quite do that. We don't want to take the risk. I don't, I don't know if I want to... What if they say something that hurts my feelings? What if things don't go quite the way I thought they were going to go? And we don't behave that bold, courageous person that we're talking about. And then... We don't feel confident. Surprise! You retreated off of your own confidence. You had a, a ground to stand on that was confident and bold that came from Christ. He literally died on the cross for crying out loud. But, you know, but we could, somebody could say something that hurts our feelings. <laughs> what do they do? So what? Give it to Jesus. And then we retreat off of our own confidence and then we don't become more confident. But when we don't retreat off of the confidence and we do what we know we're supposed to do and we don't quit, then the more we know God and His character, the more we know He'll re reward us. In Ephesians 6.11, He says, God is faithful and just to reward you. And what is He talking about? He's talking about when they, when they gave so deeply to help with the saints. And He said, I know God's going to... Don't you believe God is just? Don't you believe God is good? Don't you believe that He's right? Then when you suffer, sacrifice, or fall apart on the field of battle, when you face challenges that you don't think you can handle, and you do so boldly and courageously, then you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is going to take care of that because He's just and He's right. Again, not my words, but the author of Hebrews. The Holy Spirit through the author of Hebrews. So at that moment, I encourage you, when you first start to feel your heart race a little, when you first start to feel your palms sweat, when you first start to feel the cotton in your mouth because you're not sure if you can actually share Jesus or you can actually give all that money or you can actually 
sweat or bleed for what you believe in. And you start going, oh, fight or flight, fight or flight, fight or flight. Forget it. Fight or flight are both wrong. The fight's already won. You don't get to fight anymore. You just submit to the Lord and do what it is that God is calling you to do. The only reason you should have any fear or any question would be if you don't know what God is calling you to do. Then you've got to ask yourself for sure. And then when you know for sure, then literally let nothing hold you back. In Christ, this boldness is found. In Christ, this courage is. And some don't have it. And if you don't have it, you need to only step onto the ground that God has already given you. And if you can't step onto the ground that God has already given you, then you need to go back to the basics and ask yourself, who is your Lord? Go back to the basics and ask yourself, who do I serve? This boldness, this courage is found in faith. The more you believe, the more opportunities you will have to stretch yourself. And the more you stretch in believing, the more you will know what you know, what you know that you know. By Jesus' effort, men's heart become the hearts of lions, become roaring and powerful and world-changing and conspicuous. And people go, whoa, where did that guy come from? How, how does he always know the right thing to say? Or how does she always speak up at the right time? And I never hear them say a discouraging word, only a word of encouragement and power. And they say, you don't have to be afraid. And, and I actually feel like I don't have to be afraid. You say, they say, God's going to take care of everything. And I actually feel like God's going to take care of everything. But kid yourself not, this boldness, this confidence that is offered, that is ours, that we can cast off, it is not found in the flesh. It's not. It is not found in your own strength or your own capability, which means it is not found in reading more Bible. It is not found in setting aside more times for meditation. It is not found in receiving well constructive criticism and becoming a better person. It is not found in going to college and getting a degree. It is not found in working under somebody who mentors you and shows you better how to do it. This boldness and confidence we've already seen is in Christ. It is found in Jesus. It is in none of those things. And Paul said it very clearly in Philippians 3, in verse 14. In case, we, in case you're having trouble trusting me, he says, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, those of us who are complete, have this attitude as if in anything, you have a different attitude. God will reveal that also to you. God can do it. God can bring you to where you need to be. God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, has earned your soul. Bought it back from the hands of Satan, in whose hands it did not flourish, but dwindled and struggled and would have spent eternity in hell. God bought you back. If God bought you back, then for crying out loud, where is the bold and courageous guy who or girl who knows who they are owned by? I'm sick and tired of my own meekness. 
of my own unwillingness to talk when someone needs to hear that powerful word from the Lord. And I'm here to tell you today, no more. If you know to whom you belong, then you know for whom you speak for. And Jesus, well, I know that people say God's still small voice. You hear God's still small voice. And it's true. God does speak. That was one of the ways that God speaks. He says, but by the way, does he speak the still small voice to the lost or to the saved? If you can find one case in the Bible where the still, quiet, small voice, God speaks to somebody who doesn't already believe in him, I would be amazed. God is gentle so that you can be bold. Paul says this in Acts 28, or about Paul, it says this in Acts 28, 31. I think you'll like it. And then we're coming to the points and the conclusions. So we are making pretty good progress. Acts 28, verse 31, right to the end. I'll read from 30. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters. It means he paid for him himself. The church didn't send missionary money. He paid for it himself. He stayed two full years in his own rented quarters. And he was welcoming all who came to him. He was always willing that someone would come and talk to him, ask him questions, whatever. 31 says, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with openness, unhindered. And that phrase there, with openness, unhindered, is to remind us that in the day at which he was doing that, a huge persecution had broken out. He was only under, already under threat of being killed himself. They had already probably killed him once, if you read the text. Late in the book of Acts, it says they took him outside and they stoned him and left him for dead. And then a little while later, when the disciples came and gathered around him, he got up and walked back into town, and guess what he began to do? Preach with openness unhindered. Who do we belong to? If Jesus came again on the face of the earth, do you think that he would be quiet? Do you think that he would be sneaky? Now, I know it says he'll come like a thief, but that's the moment that he comes to claim all the church for himself. There's going to be a trumpet that sounds, and by the way, who will hear that? Everyone. That's a pretty bold trumpet. Jesus is not quiet about that which is right. Now, he doesn't have to yell or shout because naturally they are drawn to the power of God flowing through him. Three things out of all this that I want you to see the most. And you, I, I guarantee you, if you've been listening, God's been speaking to you and it may even be different points. The first thing is that this unending confidence that they're talking that we're talking about it yields something. It's going somewhere. You ever uh, be driving your car and you're going somewhere and then like you go, "Oops, that was a wrong turn," and now you're not going where you thought you were going. You ever have somebody pick you up from somewhere and and they say, "Yeah, where can I take you?" And you say, "Well, you just drop me off at home," and and you're driving toward your home and you know the way, and then suddenly. The car's like going the wrong way. And they say, oh, well, I just need to stop at Walmart and grab something real quick or whatever. So we, this thing is taking us on a beeline to where we want to go. Back in the book of Hebrews, just briefly, and we read this earlier on, there is a verse that makes it very clear. I believe it's chapter 3, verse 14. I'll get there in a second. Oh, I just missed it twice. There it is. Chapter 3, in verse 14, the writer of Hebrews 
says, for or because we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. That's where the confidence is taking you. Nowhere less than heaven, eternity, all the promises of God. This confidence, this boldness that we're called to, this willingness to speak out, to make a spectacle of ourselves. We've got guys who will go, if you can memorize your verses, you can put a pie in my face. We've got guys who will go, I want to go out and talk to people about Jesus, and if you don't go with me, I'm going to go anyway. We, but why are we not all bold and confident and courageous? This unending confidence yields, according to the author of Hebrews, patience and, wait for it, salvation. Now, I get it. I understand. He does not mean, the author of Hebrews does not mean that if you are confident outside Christ, you will get saved. He also does not mean that if you are in Christ and behave without confidence, that you will not get saved. Salvation is through Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. But with salvation in Jesus Christ comes a confidence to be the kind of person that God has called you to be, to see the fullness of Christ rising up in you, to be more like Jesus. What did Jesus do? Did he hold back any of his money? Did he hold back his body? He literally lost everything. Even his ancestors, even the people that he would have fostered, like he didn't have any children. He died. Isaiah 53. And didn't have any descendants. But then he came back alive and showed eternity to anyone who would listen and got descendants of glory. But not just descendants, joint heirs. And we became his brothers and his sisters, those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ. And I submit to you, when Jesus is in you, this boldness, this confidence will come out. I know other people are seeking for it in some other place, but there is no other place. All the boldness and confidence of humanity... All the things that we see that we kind of like, yeah, that's kind of cool, you know, the way they talk. He carries himself really cool. You know, I like him or I follow him or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to like him on Twitter or I'm going to like her on Facebook or whatever because the way they carry themselves, the way they look, etc. All that boldness and confidence only goes one place, away from God. But the boldness and confidence that comes through Jesus Christ and the fullness of Christ in you, that only goes one place too. Right into his lap. And that's exactly what he wants. Unending confidence yields patience and salvation. Not that you will get saved with confidence outside Christ. That confidence is wasted. Your works are as filthy rags. But the confidence in Christ is a requirement. Why? Because if you're not confident in Jesus, if you've been saved, if your soul which was dead has been brought to life, if your heart which was dirty and stone has been made flesh and whole and cleansed and sealed for an eternity, and yet you can't talk about that, and yet you don't have anything to say or do because of that, and yet you can't be cheerfully courageous and go, eh, well, this might just result in my crucifixion, but if it does, I still got to be who I am. And if you can't do that after that amazing experience that I just described, then you're not following the Jesus of the Bible. You're following somebody else's Jesus. Somebody else's idea of Jesus. Unending confidence in Christ yields patience and salvation. Second point. If our heart is undivided, 
we will have this confidence. One of my favorite brothers in Christ writes in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. I really like them all, to tell you the truth, but John, he and I could be, I don't know, brothers? <laughs> if our heart is undivided, we will have this confidence. 1 John chapter 3, verse 21 says, I'll go back to the beginning of the sentence, which is kind of a run-on. I get to the right spot. We shall know by this that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. That's the confidence, by the way. Same thing. We have confidence before God. And whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Here it is. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And that's the exact same Greek word there that the author of Hebrews is talking about, saying, don't throw away your confidence. What if God came in this room right now? I'd be on my face because God is holy and he is reverent. But the truth is, if you have repented and turned to God, you'd come in and he would say, do not fear. You have nothing to fear. For I have saved you. I have cleansed you. I have bought you back. I am the propitiation for your sins. I have paid for it all. Sure, it might be proper for you to show me this kind of respect. Now let me get you up. My child, my servant, my freed one, my courageous one. But if you can only see yourself on your face and never see yourself getting up, then maybe your heart is divided before God. Well, what do we do about that? You have to ask yourself what is important. I love my children and I love my grandchildren. Where they're concerned, I know there is one thing that is important. That they get saved and go to heaven. That they become a member of the kingdom of God. Whatever else happens, that's the one thing that is most important. It is so important to me that I can totally understand Paul saying, I would give myself that you could make it in. What is important? Hear me. Money isn't important. Giving is important. Money is not important. Relationships with other people? Hold on. Hold on to your hats. Here we go. Relationships with other people? Only important in one, just one incident. And that is that they are the channel by which the gospel flows from person to person. If you have a brother, a sister, a friend, if you knew the mayor, a soldier, a police officer, and you can't talk to them about Jesus, then your relationship with them is worthless. It has no value whatsoever. Because we are to be a competent people. And when my friend said to me, you can't talk to me about Jesus anymore, he said, if I want to talk about it ever again, I said, okay, well, he said, if I ever want to talk about it again, I'll come back to you. And about three years went past, and so I wrote him a letter. Not because I was bold and confident, although, I, not that I knew it, I guess that was bold and confident, but now I look back on it, and in the letter, the first thing I wrote, it says, you told me I couldn't talk to you about this anymore, so I'm writing you a letter boldness and confidence. Jesus is it. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And if you talk to somebody about anything else without ever talking to them about Jesus, then the conversation you're having, at, at best, it's building a relationship. And in building that relationship, that relationship has one value and one value alone, and that is to lead them closer to Christ. And 
to lead you closer to Christ. Because who knows? They may be closer to Christ than you are. You may think you're building a relationship and then you start talking to them and go, this person really has something for me to learn from them about Christ. And I submit to you that everyone does. And so the people that you are dismissing and you won't talk to them about Jesus because you think they don't want to hear it, because you are not confident enough, because you are not courageous enough, because you cannot hearken to the experience that you have had with God and say that that motivates you enough to talk to them about Jesus, you are not only missing out on your ability to lead them to Christ, but the fact is you are missing out on your ability to be led to Christ. Because the confidence yields the patience and the promise that we're hoping for, it is found in Christ. Not my words, but the words of Scripture. If our heart is undivided, John writes, then we have the confidence. Let your heart be undivided before the Lord. Find those things in yourself that are not of God. They're not godly. Repent of those things and turn instead unto God. Submit the 100% territory of your heart to the Lord of the universe. You can't get there any other way. Not to confidence, not to heaven. Jesus doesn't move in a heart that's half available. That's just not what the Bible says. A Lord is a person who's in charge. If your heart is half available to Jesus, it's not available to Jesus at all. Third point here, God's word is our confidence. God's word bolsters our confidence. God's word in us and its desire to get out. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. You know this verse. You've probably heard it at some point, but you might not have known the reference. In order that you may know that you have eternal life. If you have eternal life, then even your death is on the table in order to be spent for the Lord. That's what the Bible says. That you may know that you have eternal life. 14. And this is the confidence which we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we ask from him. And then he goes on to talk about how if anyone sees a brother committing a sin, you're supposed to go and stop them before it gets out of hand. His word is our confidence. This word speaks to my heart. This word cleanses my heart. Now, ultimately, it is Jesus doing the work, and I understand that, but this word is a picture of who Jesus is. His word extends our confidence. And then the conclusion. We talked about how we can be so confident in the body because we see everybody doing something. It's kind of like I was out golfing, and, and I was playing pretty badly. I was with my wife, and um, I was playing pretty badly, which happens now and then, more often than I would like. Let me tell you. And I hit the ball and it didn't go where I wanted to go. It totally went off like about 15 degree angle and it went further than I wanted to go. And behind the green, which is a problem that I have, I seem to hit over the green instead of onto the green. And that will really mess with your score. And I got up to the, the next, I was behind the green and I hit it. I chipped up and it went like 25 feet over a small hill, landed on the green and rolled slowly and dropped in the cup. And I was like, that's the best chip I've ever had in my entire life. I've never done that before. I'll probably never, ever do it again. That was awesome. I loved it. I'm like, woo, yay, me. And she said, that was great. She said, you, you really improved on your chip. And I said, no, even a blind nut finds a squirrel sometimes. And she looked at me like, I don't think that's how it's supposed to go. But that's how it goes with humans. The actual saying is even a blind squirrel finds a nut sometimes, right? Because squirrels can sniff out a nut and they work really hard and they keep trying. But 
With humans, it's more like even a blind nut finds a squirrel sometimes. Sometimes you eventually find that which you were looking for even when you can't see. This is what God is calling us to, to be free in our speech without ambiguity and direct, to be free and confident, full of cheerful courage, to know that Jesus has chosen you, chosen me, to do something amazing. To carry ourselves in such a way that we will become conspicuous, stand out. Matthew 5, Jesus said, You are the light on a hill, city on a hill, and no one can hide it. You are a light. Who puts a light under a bushel basket? What do you think he was talking about? Jesus said in Matthew 10, Take that which I speak to you softly and quiet, and then go and wait for it. Shout it from the rooftops. It's not me, it's Jesus. He said, Take that which I speak to you softly and quiet, and then go and shout it from the rooftops. Matthew 26, Jesus said to those who were coming to arrest him, So why, why do you come to arrest me now? Privately here in the garden? When I've been with you publicly teaching in the temple all the time and you could have taken me and you never did? See, he knew why. He wasn't asking them so that they would maybe stop or walk away. Or, he just wanted them to think. Why are you doing this privately but not publicly? So doing it privately but not publicly because their hearts were divided. And we're doing it too. We're living with boldness and confidence inside the body of Christ or in our own home. We put sayings about Jesus on the wall or even in our t-shirt purchases, we buy, we buy t-shirts that talk about Jesus as if our t-shirt was going to leap right up off our chest and tell somebody about Jesus enough to know to go to heaven. It just isn't going to happen. Jesus has said, when my power comes upon you, then you shall be my witnesses. And he said, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. God wants us to be bold and courageous. Let me say this. God is tired of his church, who are the people that nothing more miraculous has ever been done. And they're still chasing after things in the world. They're still not taking risks. They're still not speaking up boldly for Jesus. We twist it around in our minds to think that nobody wants to look at us. We're not that pretty, which is a lie, by the way. We only have pretty people in this church. We're not that smart, which is a lie, by the way. We only have smart people. We're not that strong. Really, it all comes down to your heart divided. I'm asking you, God is asking us, could we please become the bold and courageous Christians that God himself paid for, created? Could we? I submit we must. If we don't, maybe we will not have the patience to wait until he comes again. We'll go a-drinking or a-whoring. 
or a slandering or whatever we want to do that will make us feel better for a while. And we'll have walked away from the one who invited us to an eternity of relationship with him. No. No. We are not that people. We will be found bold and courageous for our God. Let me pray for you briefly. And then we're going to have a closing hymn to end our service. Let me pray for me. And if it applies to you, you can claim it. God in heaven, I have been in a hundred conversations. A thousand. I don't know, maybe ten thousand conversations. Where I could have. Where I would have. Where certainly I should have. Brought up my Jesus, my salvation, the works that I have seen you do. You call us to be salt and light, and our salt is not salty and our light doesn't light. It's bright enough for us to read in our living room. It's bright enough for us to cook our dinner, maybe even hopefully make our food choices or work on our jobs like like we were working for you instead of like we were working for a person and a paycheck. but it's not bright enough so that when people would look at us, they would give you honor and praise. Christians, they say, are withdrawn. Christians, they say, are judgmental. Christians are fearful. Christians are hiding. Christians are fading away. Like, people who believe in Jesus just aren't as numerous as they used to be. And that's a lie. God, help us. Help us find our boldness and our courage. Help us walk out our front door, walk over to the neighbor's house, and say, just by the way, if you ever need to talk about Jesus, I'm here. Help us buy a box of snack cakes or a bushel of strawberries or a card to mail. Help us find our boldness. And when they say, thank you, let us make it about Jesus. When they come and they say, what the heck are you doing? Let us say, I was driven. I was encouraged and pushed. And all I did was yield myself over to the God of the universe who wants to use me to love others. If we were willing we could find a whole lot of people, and some of them would be using us. That's, that's the truth. But we could find a whole lot of people who would let us love them. And in loving them, at some point they might say, and I remember the lady laying in her hospital bed who looked at my wife and said, after what I've done to you, why would you do this for me? And she said, how could I not, considering what God has done for me? Lord, help us find our boldness. Help us find our courage. And then the kingdom will advance. We pray for it. We ask for the kingdom to advance. But we are the kingdom. Lord, help us advance. As we sing this last song today, Lord, if there is someone who has it in their heart to speak out and they, they're hearing from you and they need to repent of a certain thing and turn to you or 
They need to say, I need to be baptized, or I need this to be my church, or I got to stop playing games with God, or whatever it might be. Lord, help their heart be undivided. Help the light be so bright that the cockroaches and the evil spirits, the sinister thoughts and behaviors, the temptations are chased away. When the song has ended, there will only be left bold proclaimers of our God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the praise team come forward at this time and they're going to lead us in the final hymn of our service. And then I ask you to um, sing with us. But if the Lord has laid it on your heart to share something today, uh, you don't have to sing. You can just walk right to the front of the room and say, that's me. I need to tell you this is what God is saying in my heart. If on the other hand, while you're singing, you find that God is moving you in some way, then you just get my attention. Uh, if you don't prefer to walk forward, uh, I don't really think of this as the front of the room. It's just a different part of the room. Uh, but you don't really have to walk forward. You can just right where you are and say, hey, I've got something. And we'll let you do that. Would you stand with us as we sing if you're comfortable and able to do so? And uh, this is for Jesus. I'm going to get words. Words are helpful. Especially for people who can't remember words like me. <laughs> I so wanted to go and I kept making excuses and finally as I 
I, I just thought about it, and I thought, I can't go up. What, what am I thinking? I can't go. I can't talk about Jesus. I can't. They're going to want me to stand up in front of people and say that I believe, and I'm like, I can't do that. And as I stood there, the last desperate moment before I could even, I, I, I just go crawl back under a rock, whatever, I turned my foot out, and the moment I turned that foot out to go forward, I don't remember any step between, I was in the back row, and there were probably 25 steps, and I don't remember any of the steps. I went for like this, and then the pastor and I were breaking every rule about social distancing, no mask, nothing. We're this close to each other, and he said, are you coming today because you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, are you willing to get baptized in the name of the Father, Holy Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as he commanded. I said, yes, I am. And he said, are you willing to come and become a member of the church and get busy serving the Lord? And I said, yes, I am. And I began. And in the early days of my Christianity, I became very bold, very much unlike what I was. And I still am fairly bold, the truth has been, but I must repent. Because I have had, I wasn't kidding when I prayed, I've had those conversations. And at some point in time, you, you're going to realize you've had those conversations. You get the opportunity and you're going to lead somebody to Christ every time, you know? It may, it may be 10 times, 100 times. But if you lead somebody to Christ just one time, ever, in 10 tries or 100 tries, you, your boldness, your courageousness, your faithfulness has created an eternal being, Jesus through you, and, and they're going to go to heaven. And that's amazing. And that's, that's something to live for. And we need to do it. And I have been hit or miss. I'm begging God, I don't want to be here us anymore. My heart cannot be divided. Let us do it. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> that a while back when I preached a sermon, um, the whole week leading up to preaching that sermon, I was bombarded with feelings of, you know, well, I'm not going to be able to do this. I can't do this. How am I going to stand up in front of people and preach the word of God, blah, blah, blah. It's not going to be long enough. It's going to be too long. It's going to be too short, blah, 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 whatever. And, <clears throat> you know, I got through all that, and you helped me out a lot with getting through all that. And uh, when I showed up that day, <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, what songs we're going to play that day, and I got my sermon running through my head. And lo and behold, I didn't realize this, but they, later that day they had a surprise party planned for you. And there was like 50 bajillion people in, in here. And like almost every seat was full. I'm like, oh, jeez, what am I going to do? How can I get out of this? But I didn't. And, you know, God definitely gave me that confidence. If I didn't have God's confidence, um, I would have never made it through that experience. And who knows, maybe somebody got something out of that that they really needed to hear. Or maybe I helped somebody through something um, through sharing God's word you know, mm -hmm. for them. So I don't know. I don't know how it touched lives, but all I know is God gave me that confidence, put that confidence in me for a reason. And maybe one day I'll know, maybe one day when I'm standing up. I, 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 I was touched by it, and I will say this as well. I think what we were all supposed to experience that confidence then and then take the word out and share it. I think that's the, the key. Um, but I, I was touched by it when you went through with it, and that was good. And Brother Josh, you did as well. And I think we can do it here because we are both, we're encouraging each other, but it is so scary out there. I mean, it may be scary is not the right word, but it, it, it's distracting. There's one thing after another going on, and we just don't ever get around to that boldness and courage. 
and then there's that. There's no, there may not be much time left. We are literally rescuing people from that precipice in which, from which if they fall, they may go to hell for eternity because there may only be days or weeks left or hours even. We don't know. So we really need to be very serious about reaching out and, and loving people and making those sacrifices. So, All right, so we're going to close in prayer. There is a membership meeting today. Uh, we're going to take a short break. And membership meeting is basically like a, a business where we do our, our business. We make a couple quick decisions and some announcements. Um, and then that is also where we will handle any membership issues. So if someone's joining or someone's leaving or someone has been doing accountability with somebody or like that. So that goes on. Uh, we'll have about a five-minute break so everybody can do the bathroom and whatever else they really need to do. And then we'll meet back here in this room. And it won't take long. I, I doubt it'll be even 15, 20 minutes. But, um, but it is important. And we get that done. Everyone's welcome. Okay? All right. So we're going to pray together in closing. And then we'll come back together uh, for the membership meeting here in a moment. I'm going to ask Brother Tony Brister, our deacon, would you pray for us, please, as we close. Lord, Lord uh, thank you for bringing us together again. Help us, Lord, as we uh, leave this place as we go into the, the meeting, whatever it is that we're doing, and Lord, that we take something that you've given us today. Help us, Lord, to, I mean, you've already helped. You've already, you've given us all the confidence we need. We just got to, as Dan described his uh, coming to you on that Sunday way back when, we just got to take that step. Yes, God. And let you do the rest of it. So, uh, Help us with that. Protect us. Give us your blessings as you always, always do. <clears throat> Forgive us for overlooking that and uh, taking it for granted. But bless the Lord be with us as we go through us this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you all. About a five minute break, and then we'll come back in here for.